In just a moment, um, I'm going to have the privilege of introducing uh, Favor, who's going to be preaching tonight. Uh, but I, but I wanted to, before I do that, I wanted to just share, um, I want to actually let the scriptures kind of, kind of preach, but, uh, last week we had, I believe 10 baptisms somewhere right around that number. And it was really awesome right there. Awesome night. I mean, start to finish last week was just amazing off the charts. Amazing. And uh, two weeks ago, I read to you a little bit from Colossians chapter 3, where, um, where it talks about baptism. But, uh, sorry, Colossians chapter 2, not 3. But I wanted to um, just go there again tonight. And, and really, this is, um, in, in just a moment, I promised Favor I wasn't going to steal her thunder. Um, but, because uh, you're going to see why in a minute. Favor is just um, so special to us. And and uh, she, she uh, I guess I'm starting to introduce her now, so that I won't later. Um, she came, I don't know, I'm looking, there you are. I'm like, I was looking for you. She, she, came, she came about, I want to say about two years ago, something like that, to maybe a little bit more. And it's amazing in such a short time how, how much she has become deeply integrated into this family and just, just how much our hearts are surrounding her and for her and, and vice versa. You'll see what a blessing she is in just a moment if you have not had the privilege of, of knowing her yet. Um, but uh, she's going to talk about, uh, about Jesus as a redeemer. And um, so I wanted to, um, uh, by, by way of just leading into this, I wanted to, and, and by way of following up with the baptisms last week, I wanted to read to you a good uh, chunk of, a fee, of uh, sorry, Colossians 2, which, I, which I've titled the pure gospel, just because... Um, there is only one gospel. I hope you know that. You know, it's, a good, it's good news. Um, there's a reason why it's called the good news. And um, this is where Paul says, I want to read this. Um, this is from the Passion. I love it. And I've been reading it in a bunch of translations. Um, but he says, um, starting in verse 2, he says, The certainty of your faith will give you access to all the riches of God. As you experience the revelation of God's great mystery, Christ unveiled within you. Which means, by the way, you're never, ever separate from him. It doesn't matter if you're feeling like it, you are not. He says, for our spiritual wealth is in him. Our spiritual wealth is in Christ. Like hidden treasure waiting to be discovered, heaven's wisdom and endless riches of revelation knowledge. See, we're supposed to be on this journey where we're going to learn and, and just be taken into, like, like uh, become more and more infatuated with him. There's a growing process in our maturity, in our, in our relationship with the Lord. And if you think about any, any married couple that, that not only lasts a long time, but you can see they're getting deeper and deeper, their, their love is stronger and stronger, there's something through the years where you actually, there's a, there's a kindness that develops, there's a... The, the very things that used to, um, you know, irritate you actually start fascinating you because this person is so different than you. And honestly, it's not different with the Lord because in any relationship, some of the things that irritate us are the reasons because they're different than us. If you were, you should do it like I would do it. 
You ever had those conversations with God? And then over, over a long period of time, you start to realize how good he is and kind and exceptionally brilliant. And, that, and you start to learn his ways. There's scriptures that talk about learning his ways, which are different than ours. And, um, and so that's what he's saying is that we get a lifetime of learning these things, and it gets better and better. Skipping down to verse 6, he says, In the same way you receive Jesus, our Lord and Messiah, by faith, continue your journey of faith, progressing further into your union with him. Because your spiritual roots go deeply into his life as you are continually infused with his strength, encouraged in every way. I want... Rather than just keep reading, I want you to just say, my, my um, spiritual roots go deep in him. That's in Christ, yeah. That I am infused with his strength. <laughs> I am encouraged in every way. <laughs> okay, that's good. For you are established in the faith that you have absorbed and enriched by your devotion to him. And here's where it shifts and starts talking about um, how much we are filled by him. It says, for he is the complete fullness of deity. This is Jesus. Jesus is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. And our own completeness is now found in him. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. So through our union with him, we have experienced circumcision of the heart. Now, that's really bizarre language, except they're going back to the old covenant of what was required. And, and Paul's using really creative ways of, to his audience of saying, hey, there's a different kind of circumcision. Something has been cut out of your heart. So what has been cut out? He says, all of the guilt and the power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct. There's some pretty straight, you know, pretty intense language about what has actually happened to you. The, all the guilt, the power of sin has been cut away is now extinct. Remember Romans 1, it says, it says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Most of us, if we've been around the Christian community a while, we have that one memorized, or a lot of us have heard it a bunch of times. But the context of that is, is that your own efforts of trying to be good for God gets you put into this cycle that feels like it feels horrible and there's no way out. That's what he's describing in chapter 7. He's not telling you that your sin nature still has that power over you. He's tell, Paul is saying when you think that it's about you trying to be good for Jesus, you can muster up all the strength you want and it's not going to go well. Is there any way, any rescue from this body of death? He says he's, he's like this big drama, like, is there any way out? Oh, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who has already rescued us. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No shame. See, the shame game is the enemy. The shame game is, well, I'm the only one who's still screwing up. I, I try and try, but I'm not doing very good. I must be a disappointment to God. Anybody out there? That's, called, that's the shame game, and it's not from the Lord. He says, I've already made you whole. I've already given you everything you need in Christ. Your fullness comes in him. Stop trying to be good for me. Instead, you 
Understand your union with Christ, and you live out of that. And, you, and if, when you forget, you say, Lord, help me remember. Tell me who I am again. So that's the process. The process isn't trying to gain something you don't have. The process is living in what you already have, living in whose you already belong to, who you are one with. That's the process. All right, that was the only preaching I'm going to do really favor. I'm going to finish this right here, and then and I'm going to turn it over. <laughs> Here's the baptism. For we have been buried with him, immersed into his death. Our baptism into death also means we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised Jesus from death's realm. This realm of death describes our former state. This is your pre-Jesus state. For we were held in sin's grasp. And notice the past tense. But now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return. For we are forever alive and forgiven of all of our sins. Can you say all? all. Forgiven of all of our sins. All. For some of you, that you need to hear that right now. Because, because wallowing in, this, in the, the regrets is not actually going to help you. You need to run back to, the, to Jesus and, and just embrace the one who's already embracing you. And through the divine authority of his cross, he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. And the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, he erased it all. All our sins, our stained soul, and our shameful failure to keep his laws. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Are you, are you, you got to agree with the good news in order for it to be good news. Do you understand? Like if you're going, well, I don't know about that. Well, that's bummer because you're not absorbing and enjoying the good news. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto the cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Now, the last two sentences, this is about how it's not just about you personally. This is cosmic. Just listen to this. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. You know, the ones that try to trip you up. He made a public spectacle of them, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Yeah. Okay. It's okay to get excited about the good news. What happens in our daily lives and as we sometimes forget who we are is we get worn down and we stop remembering the truth. And you've got to go back to the truth. You have to go back to the truth. The truth is what saves you. The truth is what sets you free. The truth is what gets you back on that train track that Bill said. You said you're on the tracks. You are because Jesus put you there. All right. So there you go. That's the gospel according to Paul in the book of Colossians. Good stuff. And... Um, I'm just so excited right now because um, Favor is uh, just such a unique, beautiful child of God, and she's got a great way of communicating. So open up your hearts, and would you honor with me Favor Mitchell? You guys are so honoring. I love you guys. Um, so first thing I want to do um, is pray. Let's pray. 
Dear God, you know how to speak every single love language that we can relate to. And while many are happy for what you can give them, while many may be happy for, you know, the fact that you've, well, all that you've done for us, I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that you're here. And so I say, Holy Spirit, come in increasing measure and take these words and write on them. Otherwise, it's just a speech. I don't want to do anything aside from you, and I don't have any confidence in my own ability, but all my confidence is in you, God. All of my confidence is in you. And thank you for family that's here. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk about Jesus the Redeemer. Um, first thing I wanted to say was that I often find that God has revealed himself or reveals himself in easy conversation. Like if I think about Abraham and he was sitting with God and he was like, how many stars? Do you see the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore? You know, even if when he was talking to Ezekiel, and he was like, can these dry bones live? And, you know, and so I see the beauty and wonder in intimate, easy conversation with God, right? And sometimes it starts off really, really easy, like, oh, look at those flowers. And other times it gets really deep. And so for me, some, me and God have the same kind of rapport too, and I love it. And um, sometimes he'll start off with something, and I'll start off with something. But this time around, um, I want to say at the beginning of July, I heard him whisper, if you can imagine, and putting his arm around me and just like, we're just in our quiet time. He's like, favor, I'm the redeemer. I was like, okay, yeah, I know this. I know all the songs, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you're the redeemer. I know my redeemer lives, I can sing it. And he's like, no, 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 I'm the redeemer. And began to show me all these redemptions that only he could do. I'm talking, he redeemed experiences for me. He redeemed relationships that I never thought I was going to be in relationship with again. He did all these things and said, favor, I'm the redeemer. And so I said, yes, you are. And I started chasing him. So what I want to talk about today is Jesus the Redeemer, because I feel like there was something so deep there, and that's a revelation that he's pointing out right about now. Um, so let's, let's go ahead and talk about the Redeemer, and the specific aspect of the Redeemer is the kinsman Redeemer. That's what I've been looking for. So what is that? Um, in the Greek, it's called the Goel. Not the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, so essentially, it's a male relative who, you know, according to the law of the Pentateuch, he pretty much gets his relatives out of a bind, either through vindication, either through um, the fact that they may have done something wrong and then he needs to go ahead and clean up, even marrying widows of the brother who may have passed away. And so there are three... There we go. There are three... Um, places where I see this. Um, there are places, there's in numbers where he provides restitution for one's wrongdoing. So you mess up, but he comes, the, the redeemer, comes and provides the restitution. There's another place where he redeems one who may have been so bankrupt and so poor that they would have been sold into poverty. He comes and snatches them and makes sure that they don't get sold into poverty. And the, again, becoming the husband of the widow. And you can Definitely look at all these scriptures on your own time because I'm going to be going through a whole lot of scripture, y'all. So 
I want to talk about Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, and this is going to come back. He is the savior. He's the one who rescued us when we could not rescue ourselves. There was no amount that we could have paid to even get us out of the pit that we were in. And he's our Lord and master. So not only does he rescue us, but the sin that was the Lord and master over our lives, that thing that we kept on going back and forth to, he became our Lord and master and he's the bridegroom. Yeah. So we're going to talk about these aspects of Jesus. And in order to talk about these aspects of Jesus, we're going to go to Revelation. And a lot of people are like, Revelation, oh, that gets deep and that gets heavy really quickly. However, let's talk about this. Have you ever had a conversation with someone? I'm sorry. Have you ever read a text message from someone that you know very well? And then you can start to understand their inflections and you understand how they said what they said. And so they could be totally sarcastic and you would get that sarcasm in their text because you know. I feel like Revelation is this kind of book where knowing God and the deeper you go with knowing him and the deeper you go in reading and asking him, well, what does this mean? And knowing his heart, it really takes us into a place where we understand who he is and what he means in this book, right? And so I definitely want to go to Revelation 5. I like read about eight versions of the text just to understand who this Redeemer was. Remember, this was about me saying, okay, you say that you're the Redeemer. I'm experiencing you as the Redeemer. Let me learn more about you, is it? So let's go ahead and start with Revelation 5, verse 1. I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one seated on the throne. It was written on both sides, fastened with seven seals. I also saw a powerful angel calling out in a voice like thunder. Is there anyone who can open the scroll, who can break its seals? There was no one. No one in heaven. No one on earth. No one from the underworld able to break open the scroll and read it. Now, few things you need to know about Revelation. It's written by John. And oh, another thing too, please give me some feedback, y'all. I love talking back. Please, please. I'm very, very much call and response driven. So yeah, Um, it was written by John. John was described as the disciple that Jesus loved. He self-described himself as the disciple that Jesus loved um, in the book of John. And so What I love about John is that he knew how much Jesus loved him and had no problem with mentioning that and saying that. And so this is from his perspective. He was on the island of Patmos and he was sitting there and he was in a prayer time and then fell into this vision where the Lord took him all these places. And so before this chapter that we're reading, um, there was a vision of the 20 elders and the four beasts saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. There's worship going on in heaven and it's just going and going and going and then the one who is seated on the throne is the father right and so it's going and he has this scroll in his hand and that's when the angel says is there anybody who can open this scroll and there was no one John says I wept and wept and wept that no one was found able to open the scroll Oh, I'm sorry. No one was not able to open the scroll, able to read it. One of the elders said, don't weep. Look, 
the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David's tree, has conquered. He can open the scroll and can rip through the seven seals. So John was weeping and weeping and weeping because there's nobody literally who was able to open the scroll. But Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, was able to open that thing which no man, no one above, no one beneath could open. So I looked and there surrounded by the throne, animals and elders was a lamb slaughtered but standing tall seven horns he had and seven eyes the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth he came to the one seated on the throne and took the scroll from his right hand the moment he took the scroll the four animals and 24 elders fell down and worshiped the lamb each had a harp and each had a bowl a golden bowl filled with incense the prayers of God's holy people. And so one thing that stood out to me in this part of scripture was that the angel said, look, there's the lamb, of, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in appearance, you see a lamb that was slaughtered. And the revelation of Jesus as the lion and the lamb, as the one who fights on our behalf and as the one who laid down his life for us really stands out to me. The revelation of Jesus being the one who was slaughtered but still standing, it stands out to me. See, because his time on earth was not easy. He came as our kinsman redeemer most definitely. He was God who was wrapped into flesh. But you have to know that those 33 years weren't a walk in the park. He was slaughtered, though, but still standing. And another thing that stood out to me was that the elders were worshiping and they have a harp and they have a bowl. And so it's worship and intercession, right? And the, the thing that really dug deep was that he treasures every word that you've ever sent up to him. It was in a bowl. They're the prayers of the saints. Every single word, even the mundane ones, even the I don't like orange Skittles and I don't want them in my part of heaven part because it's true. Um, even in those parts, like every single word we've sent up to him. I heard someone say, I think it was Chris Valentin, he said that um, our life changes when we believe in Jesus, but it transforms when we find out that he believes in us. And for him to cherish every word we've ever sent up to him, that's beautiful. And so, let's see. And they sang a new song. Worthy, take the scroll, open its seals, slain, paying in blood. You bought men and women, women, brought them back from all over the earth, bought them back from God. Then you made them a kingdom of priests for our God, priest kings to rule over the earth. They sang a new song, and you know I'm all about new songs too because... I just am, like, big, you know, just being musician anyway. They sang a new song before they were singing, Holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And I love the picture. One, do you guys know that there's so much worship in Revelation? Like, that was, was something that stood out to me in general. Like, around the throne, 24-7, there's worship nonstop, worship nonstop. But at the moment where Jesus took the scroll, and on the scroll, the scroll represents the deed, the title to us, all of our redemption, 
a, a redemption that we couldn't pay back. The scroll represents that. He took the scroll. And from that moment, their song changed. From that moment, their song changed. And they began to say how holy he is and how wonderful that he brought back. He took back all men and women from all over the earth. And they didn't only get redeemed. Look, it says here, then you made him a kingdom, priest for our God, priest kings to rule over the earth. Let's take it back to Genesis real quick. I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but taking it back to Genesis real quick. It said that Adam walked in the cool of the day with the Lord, right? And then he had dominion on all, all, over all of the animals and the fish in the sea and everything on the earth, right? In God redeeming, he didn't just redeem man back to, he didn't just take him and put him in his pocket, but he redeemed him back to what they had originally, what we have originally been intended to become in the first place. And so isn't it just like God to not just win something or someone back, but to transform that something and someone back into the place, back to the place that it doesn't even look like it was fallen, right? Isn't it just like God to win someone back and not just put it to the side or in the drawer, but mold them into that priest, that king priest that was made to rule and reign with him in the first place. Okay, yeah. And so I, I want to say this is what Jesus has done. And we are these people now. We are these people now. It says in Peter, you are a holy people, a royal priesthood, a king, uh, people belonging to God, right? And it said in Exodus, you will become a holy priesthood, a royal people, a people belonging to God. May I submit to you that we are these people now that have been redeemed. The redemption, we've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. We've rede been redeemed by the one, the only one who could open up the scroll. And this is who he's made us to be and called us back to be. So I just want to. Show you a little video here. Can you see? This is from The Wiz. There's a reason to rejoice, you see.
That's all. So a little explanation of what you just saw there. This is The Wiz. It's a soulful, late 70s version of The Wizard of Oz. And so you saw Dorothy um, and you saw um, the scarecrow in the form of Michael Jackson. And so essentially what happened here, if you are familiar with the story of The Wizard of Oz, I'm going to go ahead and break it down even if you aren't. Um, what happened here was the Wicked Witch who was keeping them in oppression just melted. She melted and she is no more. And they are experiencing freedom. And so this was such a picture. It's one of those things where God speaks to you in movies and such. And I was like, ooh, these lyrics even. Oh, I feel the Lord. And so it's such a picture of the freedom that we have in Christ now. Because, again, he has redeemed us. He has redeemed us. And so this joy and jubilation, see, they were, you, you could see all of the little anvils and stuff in the beginning that, was, that represented works. And you know, it says in the word that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the, um, the power, you know, it's unto God eternal, right? Wages is death. The gift of God is life eternal, right? And so that really represented freedom to me. And it really represented what he has done for us. And so I want to go also to Revelation 21. So we're, yeah, we're all in Revelation, just all up in it. <laughs> so a lot of stuff has happened in between 5 and 21. I encourage you to go ahead and read that and ask the Holy Spirit to read it with you, tell you different things. Now John is saying, I heard a voice of thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people. He's their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone. Crying gone. Pain gone. All the first order of things is gone. The enthroned continued. Look. I am making everything new. Write it all down. Each word, dependable and accurate. So he's talking to John. And, you know, at this point, I see time melding together. It's like Jesus who was and is and is to come. It's like our salvation that happened on the cross. And then at the same time, we're in the process of constantly being saved. And then there's the time where we're going to transition and be with him forever and see his face in a different way. I see it as a melding of time, right? Even how Jesus before the um, foundations of the earth, Christ died for us. It's, it's one of those things where time isn't even a factor here because he's showing what he's doing. And he made his dwelling among men. So the Holy Spirit lives in us now. Um, and then in eternity, we'll be face to face. And um, I wanted to talk about this next. Then he said, I, it, it's happened. I'm A to Z. I'm the beginning and the conclusion. From water of life, well, give I, well, I give freely to the thirsty. Conquerors inherit all this. Does this make sense? Yeah, it does. I'll be God to them. They'll be sons and daughters to me. And so, first of all, conquerors inherit all this. And then we'll address the verse right after it, too. Conquerors inherit all this. The victorious inherit all this is another um, version. But this is a victory that Jesus himself has won 
for us. So it's not like anybody went out and said, ha, I won this victory. What he does is he clears the way, he fights all the battles, and then he raises our arm like, winner! And, and, and so that's what he's saying, like, the idea that we're conquerors, but we're not conquerors through our own efforts, but through everything he has done. And now let's look at this other um, verse, because I was like, Lord, I don't want to preach that part. Let me see. <laughs> he says, I was like, walk with me on this. He says, but for the rest, the feckless, the faithless, degenerates and murderers, sex peddlers and sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, for them, it's the lake of fire and brimstone, second death. And so it's like, ooh, that's a tension that you got to sit in. I want to ask a question. Who are the rest? Who is he talking about? Who is he talking about? A lot of times people look at this verse and they think the rest is themselves. And so they work and work and work in ways, much like you said earlier, Pastor Brent, to make sure they're not in that comprehensive list. And that list is a comprehensive list because it's like fear, you know, fear to all of these other things. And they work and work and read into this and assume a wrong identity based on the fact that they're like, well, I'm not going to be in this list, or maybe I am in this list, and so maybe I'm excluded, and they don't know who they are based on working on a performance-based as aspect. And so this is problematic because if I'm still focused on the old things that have passed away, how will I be able to live in all that's new? Other people say the rest are those people. I'm sorry if you can't see it. It says those people. Other people say the rest are those people. And then, so you have people who are blinded by their own hypocrisy and they're like, oh, I never do anything like that. But it's those people over there that are that and they won't enter in the kingdom of God and they won't do X, Y, and Z and blah, blah, blah. And see, the problem with this is that you put yourself on the place of judge and juror trying to determine and decide who those people are when that's not even none of your business. So I, I wanna let you know, I've been doing some study on John and you have to know, even John, back in Luke, before he was like the apostle of love, there was a, there was a city that, did, that rejected Jesus. And him and his brother were like, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn him up? We'll do it right now. We'll call down fire from heaven right now and burn them up. And Jesus rebuked them and said, you don't know what spirit you're of. And later on, as he got to spend more time with Jesus and got to know how much he was loved, he became the apostle where in all of his books, you're going to see how much he loves and how much God loves us and how we are to love because he's received that love, right? And so what I want to say is that, one, read Revelation from the standpoint of this is the John that, all, that knows and has experienced all this love. And two, we see a snapshot of somebody's life. That does not make us the judge and juror over anybody's life. What we do is we love people beyond the snapshot, just like Jesus loved us beyond snapshots in our life, right? I'll say that again. We love people beyond the snapshot, just as Jesus loved us beyond the snapshots. I think both of these cases are a case of mistaken identity. Because when I'm saying, oh me, I'm that person that's oh terrible and all this stuff, I'm not acknowledging the finished work of Christ and I'm getting back up on the cross that he already got on. And then when I say those people, I'm not acknowledging that the same power, resurrection power that saved me from my muck and mire has, has been extended to the world as well. 
And so I feel like this particular part of scripture, I love that it's there because it's surrounded by all this love and, oh, and there's worship and, oh, there's redemption. And we just read about the kinsman redeemer. But I feel like this part of scripture is a loving two-edged sword to remind us and help us to remember what spirit we're of. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's keep on going. One more. So from verse 9. One of the seven angels who carried the bowls filled with the seven final disasters spoke to me. Come here. I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He took me away into the spirit to an enormous high mountain and showed me holy Jerusalem descending out of the heaven from God, resplendent in the brilliant glory of God. So John sees the bride. He sees the bride of Christ, right? And it looks like a city, but I need you to remember that there's, um, we are called a city on a hill. So he said the bride was resplendent, which means attractive and impressive. John was being showed the bride, shown rather, shown the bride in its completed form. This is the bride that Jesus could see that he gave his life for. This is the bride that was the joy set before him that allowed him to endure the cross. The bride in its completed form. And you may look at the bride of Christ now and say, well, I don't necessarily see splendidness. Or you may look at yourself and say, well, I don't necessarily see splendidness. The fact that Jesus died before, before we even knew his name, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the Bible says. Knowing the fullness of what we, would, what we could become, but it hadn't become that yet. It says a lot about the one that has redeemed us. Imagine it. It's really, really easy to go ahead and say, oh, I'll purchase that piece of fruit that looks like it has no spots or blemishes. Oh, yeah, I'll purchase that. What happens when you see pieces of fruit in the supermarket that has bruises all over and maybe even a little spot of mold? You leave it there. I know I'm not the only one, right? (laughs) You leave it there. I see you, Kat. And so the thing is, the way that Jesus looks at us, the way that Jesus looks at us and sees us in our complete nature, the way that he sees us in our fullness, even when we're making mistakes, the way that he looks past all that and is able to see value and is able to see beauty, that is a picture of the Redeemer that lives and that has purchased us. See, it's not just even about the redemption. It's us, our eyes being drawn to the Redeemer and understanding his heart and understanding who he died for through his eyes. So, Jesus was the redeemer. Jesus is our redeemer. And he wasn't passive about redeeming us. He wasn't nonchalant about redeeming us. He didn't say, oh, come on over here. I guess I'll do it. It wasn't out of obligation. It wasn't out of duty. It was because he loved us with a passion. He saved us when it was impossible for anyone else to. And so, again, thank you so much. And again, I wanted to say that he doesn't just redeem us and then throws us on a shelf, throw us on a shelf. He redeems and then he 
restores us to what we were originally supposed to be. Even better, actually. And so I want to show you one more clip. And then I'll come back. That's all, y'all. And so the point is, that just understated my point, where once he redeems us, he doesn't leave us in the shape that we're in. He, leave, he brings us up to who we were supposed to be, if not even more valuable, right? Thank you, Jesus. I just want to take a time to thank Jesus for being our Savior. Thank you, God, for redeeming us. Thank you, God, for bringing us into your arms. And you didn't just do it passively. You didn't just do it because you thought it might be a good idea and you were bored. But you loved us so much, God. You loved us so much that you brought us into your arms, Lord. And so, once again, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He's our savior. He saved us out of the muck and mire. He saved us when it was impossible for anyone else to. And then he becomes our Lord and master. He's a good Lord and master, too, unlike sin that was kind of like a taskmaster that never let us leave. And we don't just learn how to stay there, though. We don't just learn how to serve. Yes, we come in as servants, but he said in John, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I now call you friends. So there's levels to this thing. And he's our bridegroom. I want you to take a look at the level of intimacy that, that, that you see right here. He goes from Savior, who, yes, I scooped you up, to Lord and Master, you come home with me, to bridegroom, which is like a picture of the deepest intimacy. And he's not just a bridegroom that leaves us locked up in our room like Rapunzel or something like that. We rule and reign with him. That's the end of the story. And so I want to ask yet another question, which is, what is the purpose of our redemption? So he did all that, made us rule and reign with him. That's cool, right? Is it to, it is cool, yeah. <laughs> but is it to stay here? Is it just to be in this place here? Is it just to look at each other every five minutes and say, hey, you're a redeemed person in here, right? No, no, no. Our reasoning for being redeemed is to model redemption. People don't know what a relationship looks like with a heavenly father that loves him. People who hear these words have heard these words before. Some of them don't even know what a relationship with a Lord that redeems looks like. And we cannot, one cannot become what they haven't seen. And so I think the best the best witness is showing a life transformed and living a life transformed. But in order to live a life transformed, you got to know the God that has redeemed you. Hence this whole topic anyway, right? I want to show you one last thing. And I think, um, I think at the end, I just want to play and sing over you guys, if that's okay. Um, so this lovely backdrop that I think I skipped. Tina, please help me. Thank you. This lovely backdrop 
This is called um, kintsugi, which is a practice out of Japan. And what happens is instead of throwing away a broken piece of pottery vessel, it gets repaired. And it gets repaired with something, with a bonding agent, and it includes gold or sometimes platinum. And so the value is higher than it originally started out. The value is higher than it originally was when it started out. See, a lot of times we get things and we want to throw it away. We want to crush it. We want to give it away. We want to say it's of no good anymore. But what Jesus did was sog broken people like us. And he took us and made the value higher than what it was before. He mended us together again and made our value higher. I just want to say thank you to Jesus for that. Can we spend some time just thanking God? Jesus, you're wonderful. You're wonderful. You weren't passion, passive, I should say, in your pursuit of us, God. But you went after us. You continue to go after us. You continue to go after us more and more and more. Thank you for being the redeemer. And thank you for being the redeemer that actually gets involved. Thank you for being the redeemer that cares that loves. Yeah, I think that's, that's all. Amen. And I'm going to play a little bit. Yep. Is this thing on? And so what we're going to do right now, I just, I think it's best to get into whatever Jesus is doing. This is going to be a quiet time where you're going to allow God to speak. We're going to allow, because I'm going to do the same thing. We're going to allow God to speak to our heart. Okay, we're going to allow God to speak into our heart and to really show us who he is as redeemer. Show us how he sees us. Because again, your life gets changed when you believe in Jesus, but your life gets transformed when you realize that he believes in you. time to just get in tune. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing and let him to do some of the talking.
pursuit he has for you endured the cross for you because he saw you and his eyes blazed with passion and burning fire for you he's redeemed us thank you for being our redemption God Reckless love of God. 
Just take a look at that. Um, the picture. That you, and allow yourself to believe that somehow you are more valuable now after being broken and placed back together by Jesus than you were before. That's, that's stunning. And it reminds me of um, 2 Corinthians 4 that said it's God who said let light shine out of darkness who has shown into our hearts to enlighten them with the knowledge of God's glory the glory on the face of Christ so you're filled with the glory of God with his goodness but it says we hold this treasure in pots of earthenware so that the immensity of the power is God's and not our own see we can't take credit for this we are subjected to every kind of hardship, but we're never distressed. We see no way out, but we're never in despair. We are pursued, but we are never cut off. We are knocked down, but we still have some life in us. Always, we carry within us, within our body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus, too, may be visible in our body. So, Father, I want to thank you that not only has Jesus paid the price for, for us to, to know our infinite worth, but also thank you, Lord, that somehow in your kindness, your goodness, your brilliance, you even take the, the broken things of life, the, the things that have happened to us that were devastating, the things even that we've done to others that were not right. And somehow, God, through time, you weave it into something that is beautiful, something that has value. And so once again, Lord, we do not receive shame. That, that feeling of being bad, that I'm a bad person, we do not receive that. That's not your heart. But God, we, we agree with you that we are broken. We are these earthenware vessels that life has chipped away at and poor choices along the way have, have made us wonder, are we... Are we redeemable? Are we purchasable? And your answer through Jesus is an emphatic yes. You're my choice. So we sit here, God, as your chosen vessels. And God, each one of us right now, where each person sits in this room, you have chosen our own selves to be the place that you live, your house. You said, I want to live in you. It's my choice. So God, may this, the wonder of it all, just grip us. That on the one hand, who are we? Who are we? That's, that's throughout scriptures. That's in Psalms. That's in Hebrews. Who am I, Lord, that you, would, that you would want me, that you would want to live in me? And yet the other side of that coin is, I am the one that you chose and that you love. I am your redeemed one. So God, thanks tonight for just lifting our hearts and our spirits and for us knowing tonight the value of who we are. And Lord, may we carry this out so that we understand the value of every person we look at tonight and tomorrow. Whether they're in church, whether they're the farthest place away isn't the point. We're made in your image. We are made with your glory. And so is every pre-believer. 
everyone who doesn't yet know who they are, they are still made in your image. They are still loved and wanted by you. Lord, help us to see the value that you see in each person. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Favor. That was awesome.